Brothers and sisters, this morning we have two short readings, one from the book of Joshua and then our second from the book of 2 Corinthians. So I urge you to follow along in your copy of God's Word or on the screen overhead. The Word of the Lord says thus, beginning in Joshua chapter 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had, <coughs> just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And then flipping forward to 2 Corinthians, the word of the Lord continues. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the living God will stand forever. Let's pray. Almighty God. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this word. We thank you for the great promises that you have given to us. Indeed, the great assurances you have given to us. Grant that we would indeed walk by faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, uh, we are all of us accustomed somewhat to taking things that we're told with a grain of salt. We are used to unkept promises. We, we, are, we, we, we sort of expect that people will overstate or oversell their promises or the good or the product, whatever it is. Uh, and and we, we come to expect that we're going to be disappointed or that we're going to get less than what we think we're going to get. Um, whether it's a warranty on the tires you bought or, or something else, you're used to not getting what you think you're going to get. And indeed, sometimes we're the source of that kind of disappointment. Um, a bad Ben story follows. Uh, and, and yes, it's, you know, I, I like to, I could proudly say, well, I have to go back 10 years for this, but... Uh, Still, 10 years ago, uh, my family, we stopped at Edmonton Mall. Edmonton Mall. Do you know where Edmonton Mall is? Edmonton. Do you know where Edmonton is? Way up in Canada. Oh, yeah. Edmonton Mall is massive. Who here has been to the Mall of America in Minneapolis? Biggest mall in the country. Piddly size compared to Edmonton Mall. No joke. <laughs> Piddly size. And so it's so big and so amazing. We've actually gone back. We drove up into Canada just to go to Edmonton, just to go to the Edmonton Mall. 
Um, and they have an awesome, awesome, awesome indoor water park there. And this water park is so amazing. And one of the, one of the rides, one of the water slides they had, it, it was this enclosed tube, and it was like you're on a gallows. And they counted down, and they dropped the floor. I mean, it was just... And, uh, but you go down this tube, and, and with such speed and such everything, uh, it does a loop-de-loop. So you're in this water slide doing a loop-de-loop. And uh, I told my son Daniel, if you do this, go on that ride, I'll get you a large ice cream cone. He did it, and he was terrified. It was so funny watching him go. I mean, you, could, you, can, you can sort of see through the, he was terrified. And, uh, but he did it in hopes of a large ice cream cone. And then I went to the ice cream stand and saw the, the cost of the ice cream cone, and he got a small. Now, he did get the ice cream cone, but not what was promised. And that kind of thing happens to us all the time. Sometimes, though, when we read the promises of God, we wonder, how much of this is just poetry? How much of it is hyperbolic overstatement? How many of these promises are really, really, really going to come true? How much? Brothers and sisters, what amazes me about God's word is how much care God takes to communicate to us that you really, really can trust him. It, it's like he understands that we are scared children at the edge of a pool and he wants us to jump into his arms and we're scared and he addresses that. That is the gracious kind of God we have. Specifically, if you look at Hebrews 6, it's not our passage today, but it, but it was in the back of my mind. Hebrews 6 is kind of in the back of my mind as I think about this whole series. Uh, 13 to 18 we see that God wants us to have great assurance that we can take his word to the bank. That you really can have confidence in his word. And so he doesn't just give us his word. Even though his word alone should be enough, God is so, dare I say, desperate that you believe him. That he doesn't stop at giving you his infallible word. He confirms it with an oath, which in this case is the covenant that he ratified with Abraham, in which God takes upon himself curses if he breaks it. God wants you to know that you can believe every word that he has given to you. One of the most precious promises in the Bible is found in Joshua 1.9. Many of you know it. Many of you have memorized Joshua 1.9. Uh, it's repeated throughout the Old Testament. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that promise is repeated over and over in the Bible. It's even repeated in the New Testament. In fact, you could say it's repeated and ramped up. 
For indeed, what does our Lord tell us in Matthew 28? That he is with us always, even to the end of the age. A precious promise, one of many, but can we take it to the bank? Yes. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. And the name Emmanuel highlights and underscores the fact that he has entered into the muck and the mire of human existence. Jesus knows what it is to be in a fallen world. He knows what it is to be betrayed, to be disappointed. He knows, and he wants you to know, he will never, ever betray. He will never deny. His name heralds the fact that into the midst of the darkness, which he doesn't just come into to, to empathize, he comes into the world, the light penetrates the darkness to usher in a new kingdom, a new kingdom that ultimately conquers and replaces. In other words, the wheels of redemptive history are turning in such a way that when all is said and done, everything will be made new. No more sorrow, no more struggle, no more pain, no more futility, no more sin, no more death. That's amazing. But a promise is a promise precisely because we don't get the goods now. Right? Promises, like we talked about kind of last week, are always future-oriented. And when someone makes you a promise, you have to make a choice. Will I believe it or will I not? Now, there's a key difference between a promise made by a person and a promise made by God. I'm not just talking about the, uh, the fact that we're sinners and sometimes we promise things without, it, without even intending to fulfill it. That's not what I'm talking about. Uh, a human promise implied, implied in every human promise is the understanding that there are forces outside our control that may in fact prevent us from bringing about what we promised. That's, that's implied and understood. So a human promise we take to mean that it is a declaration of intent, a declaration of commitment to put all my energies to bringing it about. But again, like I said, we understand the implied fact that there are forces outside of human control that we cannot control that can undermine our ability to fulfill our word. And we don't usually hold that against people when that happens. But we can have the best of intentions. We can have the best sincerity. We can really, really, really try and still fail to deliver what we say. So a human promise is a declaration of intent or a declaration of commitment. But God's promises are not this. God's promises are not declaration of intent. They're declarations of future fact now. 
A promise that God gives is in fact a declaration of certainty. So gone is that element of, in, of contingency. And the fact that God's promises can be spoken of as declarations in the present of future fact is underscored and supported by the fact that he rules all things sovereignly. His character, what he is, ensures that when he makes a promise, it is indeed a statement of future fact in the present. Specifically, just think about this for a moment. He's omniscient. So what does this mean? He knows all things. All things factual, all things potential. There is no set of circumstances in the future that can arise that could catch him by surprise and render futile his word. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. All the time. There's never a place where he is not that would keep him in his absence from being able to fulfill his word. But he's not only all-knowing and all-present, he is omnipotent, he is all-powerful. There is no factor, there is no force that could ever be arrayed. There's no circumstance that could ever erupt. There is nothing that can happen that is powerful enough to override him. So his sovereignty, which is ensured by his omnipresence, omnipotence, and omniscience, helps us to understand why it is that when God makes a promise, we can take it to the bank. But we are indeed impatient because his promises from our vantage point seem to take a long time to reach their fruition. Indeed, we're told that that great hall of Hebrews, that great hall of heroes in, in Hebrews, are heroes precisely because they died in faith without in this earthly life having seen the fruit. But the reason why we have this impatience about us is because we are temporal beings and we oftentimes fall into the trap that if I don't see it now, if I don't get it before I die, then it's not to be had. But your life does not end at your physical demise. Indeed, this is the point Jesus makes in Mark 12. Mark 12, 27. When he says that God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The fact that God is spoken of as being the God present tense because Jesus says he's the God of the living. It implies or it's a statement that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are still alive. Your life is not over. When your body expires, you continue to exist. And you will indeed get the goods as promised. Because as we saw this morning, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. When he went to the cross, he purchased our pardon. He fully atoned for our sin. But make no mistake about it, he accomplished more than simply 
paying for our sin. He purchased every single benefit that God has in store for his people. And so, brothers and sisters, every promise will be kept and you will get the goods. But that can be hard to hold on to in the midst of the unpleasantness of life. There's a lot of ups and downs. There's a lot of difficulty. And, and this is where I think looking back at the patriarchs and their lives and their story is helpful. I mean, consider, consider Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 when he's first met by the Lord. And the Lord tells him to go. And he's an old man. I mean, he's, he's an old man. And the Lord tells him to go. And that the Lord would, would bless him and make a great nation of him. Okay. So he goes. And he kind of wanders. And the Lord takes him where he takes him. And, and years pass. And he still hasn't had a kid. Genesis 13 then happens. And what happens in Genesis 13? God gives him a promise that not only am I going to build a nation of you, for you, through you, but look around you, Abraham. Everything you can see, as far to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, as far as you can see, and this land, this land is going to belong to your posterity. I'm going to give it to your people. Great. But again, years go by. Years go by. Years go by. Isaac happens. Jacob happens. And Jacob's life is one of, of turmoil and strife. Even he confesses when he, as an old man, goes before Pharaoh. And just, Pharaoh wants to you know, pick his brain a little bit about what are some of the lessons you've experienced in life. And he's like, man, my days have been full of trouble. And Joseph, as he's dying on his death, deathbed, and in Genesis 50, what does he say? He reminds the people, the Lord will visit you. And the Lord will give you the land that he promised to our fathers. And, and when that does, take my bones up out of here and bury me in the land that God has promised. 400 years go by. The people, by and large, go pagan. The people of Israel, by and large, go Egyptian. That, that, that's one of the sad realities of what happened. They, by and large, turned pagan. But God was not through with his people. And he raises up Moses. And Moses, Moses is 80 years old when he begins his ministry. And the, the wonders, the shock and awe campaign of the Exodus and of the covenant at Sinai, wow, it still doesn't convince the people. And so they rebel, they rebel, they rebel. And finally God says, all of you who came out of Egypt are going to die here in the desert. 
and your children, they will inherit the promised land. And so, Moses himself passes away. And Joshua then takes up the mantle of authority. And to Joshua then it falls to fight the Lord's battles for the people. To purchase all the good that God had said he would give to his people. And, and that is germane because in a very real sense, Joshua is the Old Testament Jesus. In fact, their names are the same. That's a little bit of trivia for you. Jesus means Joshua. And just as Jesus conquered, that's what the Bible says, and by his conquering he has purchased everything that God has said he would give to us, so too Joshua conquered and gives to the people all that God said. And so Joshua, if you read the book of Joshua, the first 11 chapters read pretty quickly. And it can be deceiving because you read it real quick and, and you can get the impression that these battles took place like in six months or something. We're talking years of warfare. Years. But then after chapter 11, you get to chapter 12 and my goodness, it's like it's a different book. You, you, you've gone from watching a World War II reconstruction video to, to going and sitting in the reading of a will. And that's exactly what it is. It's several chapters where every single tribe gets doled out in precise measurement land. What's the boundary to the north? What's the boundary to the east? What's the boundary to the south? What's the boundary? Several chapters of meticulous description of everything that is going to be handed out. And that's important. Because it's assuring us that everything God said would come to pass. And that passage then culminates with what we read this morning in Joshua 21, verses 43 to 45, where it's underscored multiple times, not one word. I, I love how it says it that way. Not one word of all that God promised failed. Not a single word. And so, we see it throughout the Old Testament. God keeps his promise. But then, we're met with another long gap of silence coming into the new, which is, of course, broken by the announcement to Zechariah that he's going to have a child. His wife will have a child. And then right on the heels of that, the announcement of the birth of Christ. You see, God keeps his promises. And so, what I want for you, brothers and sisters, as you enter into this Advent season, as we focus our mind on the fact, on the wonder, on the mystery of the incarnation, remember that we live in light of the first Advent, anticipating the second Advent. The first advent is proof positive in a long line of assurances that God 
keeps his promises. Which is why we say every communion Sunday, and we will say again today, as surely as he came once, he is coming again. And so consider all the promises that God has made to you. As you live and exist in a world with troubles, trials, and tribulations, with disease and death, God keeps his promises. So brothers and sisters, the coming of Christ gives us hope. It provides us with the basis by which we can have a degree of confidence and assurance that what has been said is in fact true. In Christ, all God's promises find their yes and amen. So hang your hat there and take every word of the Lord to the bank because it's certified legit. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the confidence we can have, the assurance we can draw because of who you are and how in your word you declare and demonstrate your commitment to keep your word, every, every word, every jot, every tittle. Help us to speak to our disbelief, to our skepticism with the facts and help us to walk joyously in light of the fact that you have promised an inheritance in the reign and rule of Christ. We ask this for his glory. Amen.